Well, hello, brothers and friends, and thank you for listening to Online with Light. This is the first episode of the third season of Online with Light. Uh, I will say uh, in recording it, we use Zoom as an experiment. Some of the sound quality may not as be good as you're accustomed to. I'm working on it. I'm trying to improve that. I want to say a big shout out to uh, Right Worship Brother Steve Allenson and Worship Brother Chris Ozog, who not only did the work on these booklets that you're going to, I always say booklets, but they're really papers you can download uh, and put in just so much effort to improve it and i'm really just thankful to them and i hope that if you see them you'll you say take a look at their booklets and say hey you know i really appreciate you doing that because sometimes we don't hear that enough in freemasonry so uh we'll have lots of new shows i'm reaching out to a lot of different brothers to get some interesting content this year uh that tells us what's going on in connecticut and uh what's what's freemasonry all about and so I hope you listen to it. I hope you share it. And if you would like to uh, be part of a show or have a discussion, uh, please reach out to me. My email is nickives at ctfreemasons.net. And without further ado, let's listen to the show. Hello, this is Nick Ives. I'm here with Online with Light, and this is the first episode of our new season, the third season of Online with Light, uh, sponsored by the CME, and the, which is the Committee for Masonic Education in Connecticut. And I am here with two members of the Committee for Masonic Education, who I am so happy they allowed me to get back in the swing of things with them. Easygoing brothers. Uh, first off, I'd like to introduce, uh, we have Worshipful Brother Chris Ozog, who is a past master of Village Lodge 29. He was also an Associate Grand Marshal for District 5A with Right Worshipful Brother George Frascarelli. And he's uh, been a Mason for more than 10 years, and he's been on the CME forever, haven't you, Chris? I have. I'm the longest serving member. Well, <laughs> you've been longer <laughs> than me, and uh, it's nice to have you here. Thank you for coming, Chris. Thank you, Nick. And we also have Right Worship Brother Stephen Allenson, who is a past master, two-time past master of Hiram Lodge Number 1. He is involved in a, a list of things, but uh, some of his highlights, he was a past district deputy for, I believe, 4A, Steve? That's correct. All right. And he's also the president of the New Haven Masonic Temple. And uh, he's involved in all sorts of different areas of masonry. Um, Steve, welcome. It's nice to have you. Thanks, Nick. So we're going to talk today. Um, the both of you had a instrumental role in the committee this year, and it was actually over the last two years. We have these instructional booklets that are part of the things we hand out to candidates and then brothers as they go through the degrees. We give them a code book, and there's an instructional book. And I can say from my own experience, I remember reading those old instructional books, thinking like, man, these things are a little bit out of date. So both of you volunteered to review the books and update them. They haven't been reviewed in, I think it's a 30 something years. So um, I was wondering if you could just talk about what are some of the things you saw when you saw the booklets that you said, These, this needs to change. Uh, why don't we start with brother Chris. Um, Chris, why don't you just say, when you first looked over the booklets, what were some of the things you said, boy, this needs some updating? Well, to start, when I volunteered, I had no idea how tedious it would be. <laughs> I thought it would be kind of like simple, but uh, little do I know editing takes quite a bit of time. So um, basically, we just overhauled the entire book. Um, the writing was outdated, outdated. It was overly complicated. It was difficult to read. 
it was in third person. So it read like a textbook. Um, I mean, we tried to give it a little more enthusiasm, some more encouragement. We changed some policies and procedures, regulations, facts, you know, basically the entire thing needed to be redone. And the last time it was done was 2013. So we felt like it was time for an update. That's good. And Steve, what was some of the things that maybe you took a look at and uh, said, hey, this I, we could really make this better? So, so, so Nick, Chris really, really focused on a lot of the uh, specifics. Um, for me, it was more of a general, um, the feel of reading these books was cold. It was unfriendly, borderline unfraternal and unwelcoming. It didn't seem like this is something that would get a new brother excited about masonry. Um, and I, I, you know, working with Chris, we, I think we drastically changed the tone and the overall feel um, because I think what, what we're thinking is as someone goes through the degrees, they're going to hopefully use these booklets to get some more knowledge and to grow and if they're reflecting on the writings here, it better be welcoming and friendly. And it, it really didn't come off that way. Um, so, so I think we did a, hopefully what everybody would think would be a good job on it. And, <laughs> I, and you, I have to say, as someone who read the final draft and I tried to fine tooth comb it, I, really, both of you did a fantastic job on this. And I, but, you know, it's interesting, like you both in talking with you afterward, you approach different parts of it. There were different priorities that each of you had. And I'm going to start, instead of you talking about how great you were, Steve, could you just talk about some of the great things that Chris did? And Chris, we'll have you talk about some of the great things that Steve did. That might make it a little bit uh, easier for both of you. Yeah, so, so Chris is a, is a powerhouse. He's a, he's a workhorse. I mean, he just went through these books and whether it was grammar or um, punctuation or just the way something would come back, come across, um, he would either change it or highlight it or, or bring it to note where we would discuss what needed to be done with that section. Um, you know, he really did the heavy lifting here. Um, he was the first take on the books. So he would make the first uh, corrections. Um, and then, um, we would go back and forth with it. So, so Chris really just drove the bus here. And in my opinion, created the framework of what changes needed to be made and what things, things needed to, to pop. And if there were sections that, you know, what I thought was really good was there were, there were sometimes that there were sections that Chris would look at and say, there's something wrong here. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong here. And he had no problem highlighting it and saying, take a look at this. And sometimes I would say, you're absolutely right. We'll come back to this on another edit because <laughs> I can't figure it out either. And eventually just back and forth, it, it hammered its, its, itself out. So, so Chris was just outstanding on, you know, pulling the issues, pulling the language, making the changes, and, you know, not getting frustrated through this whole process. It was just great working with him. 
And Chris, could you uh, talk a little bit about Steve's involvement? So Steve, I viewed him as my, I don't know, creative genius. Whereas I focused on like flow errors. I focused on how it read. And then whenever I needed some more information on like, let's say policies, make something sound better, make something sound more flowery. I was like, hey, Steve, uh, you know, I got this paragraph all set, but it's lacking something. So Steve would add in several, you know, sentences, a paragraph here or there, and he would be the guy that would have the expertise and knowledge to insert, you know, relevant facts and make it sound good. Um, he also claimed to know the best font out there. So I trusted his judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Which font is that, Steve? It's Garamond. You think yes. Garamond's the best, huh? Okay. Oh, I, oh, it's it's not me. It's the highest rated font. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to start switching to Garamond more because I've been a Calibri fan forever and I, my mind has changed. <laughs> my mind has changed. At least it's we not Helvetica. More, we all need more serif in our life. Oh, that's what a what a fonty joke. Well, we, that was the nerdiest conversation I think I've had in a while, right? <laughs> we had font <laughs> humor. That's great. Um collaborating is not easy. And I'm, I believe personally, a lot of Masonic text issues when we're trying to collaborate with each other fall apart because we don't know how to work together with text. Some people mark up and, and they use their pencil. Uh, other people just type. Other people dictate. Um, Chris, would you just mind starting, uh, what were some of the ways that you and Steve were able to collaborate, uh, even though, I mean, you don't live in the same town. So how are you able to work together? So Steve introduced me to, what is it called when you edit? Uh, I forgot what that's called. Track the editing, changes. track changes, that's what it is. You know, I never knew about that beforehand. I don't use Microsoft Word all that often. So meanwhile, here I find out that Microsoft Word has a feature that allows you to strike through something, leave it there, so that you can visibly see what changed and then update it as necessary. So like not, it, it did make this whole thing very confusing to learn the first time, but uh, it was actually a excellent tool. So it helped us to kind of know what used to be there, what changed and what is now being proposed. So Steve and I went back and forth on those. And Steve, you use this in your professional life uh, quite a bit, I'm sure. What were some of the advantages of using track changes uh, for collaboration? So, so, yeah, I, you know, this is a huge tool um, throughout the legal profession. Um, and um, we typically use it when we're um, drafting either contracts or settlement agreements. And we have um, multiple parties being represented. So one person will make a change and forward it to the rest of the parties. And then the rest of the parties will view the changes. And, um, you know, every time you do it, it creates a different color. It, it, it's really easy to use. Um, the nice thing about it is you can also add notes to certain areas. So you can highlight a portion of text, you can put a note in, and you can essentially communicate on a single piece of punctuation if you wanted to. Um, we didn't do that, but we did get to the point where we were discussing single words at, at, on occasion and had notes on single words. So um, it's an it's an extremely powerful tool. Um, and once we got finished, you literally click a button that says accept all the changes and all of the strikethroughs and changes get automatically done and it couldn't be simpler. 
And I can say you use this in a Microsoft environment. I, as a teacher, I'm in a Google Docs environment and I mark up papers when I'm grading them or say, hey, can you give me a markup? And I'll go through it. And then by the time they're done, they're like, it all, the whole thing turned red. Why was that? And I was like, well, uh, I think you need to fix a few things <laughs> in there. Um, it's a super handy tool. And there's lots of different products that use it. But Microsoft and Google are two of those things. So uh, I think that's very helpful to people who may have never heard of it before. Um, I think that's a really important thing to be helpful. As you had the output, what were you hoping that people would do with this document? I mean, obviously you made changes. Um, what did you think the work that you're putting in would be tangible in the hands of the candidate? We'll start with Steve. So it's, it's, it's a, not an easy question to answer, but what I, what I hope is that at some point, either after getting an acceptance letter or after one of the degrees, or even several years later, at some point, somebody sits down and starts reading this, one of these booklets. And as they're reading it, they reflect on the person that brought them into Lodge. They reflect on somebody that they became friendly with or somebody that they're close with. And it, it's my hope that it will solidify the bonds of brotherhood through our degrees, through our rituals, and have a memorable effect and trigger the memories and the integrity and meaning of what Freemasonry is. And, and Chris, how about yourself? What, what, what do you hope happens when it gets in the hands of the new brother? So I'm hoping that this these booklets basically they answer the basic questions of masonry. They explain masonry in general terms and they help uh, become a primer for discussion. So these booklets could be used so that, oh, hey, I read about this. Let me go ask a knowledgeable brother about more about this so that he can learn more about masonry. But without having some kind of basis for these questions, you would never know what to ask. So it helps kind of spark conversation. It helps you know interact with your fellow brothers. And especially if you're new, you don't necessarily know where to even explore, what to look into. So it, it just basically, it's a primer for discussion, in my opinion. That's really good. And I can say, uh, I did not have these booklets. Uh, I had the code book, but I never got, we were using the term booklet. It's actually eight and a half and 11 page. That was one of the big conversions that you guys did. So it's easily downloadable and printable at any time, anywhere, right off of Grandview. Um, I, I missed out on these booklets. Uh, I, I kind of used the internet a little bit and not, I didn't have any spoilers, but I certainly feel like having something to present um, is helpful. And, and speaking of my instruction, um, let's start with Chris. Chris, when you were coming up, what were some of the things that you experienced to learn about masonry from your mentors? Like what was your lodge of instruction like because we're on this topic um, or some of them, maybe if they had any materials or how did they share the wisdom of masonry with you? Okay, so I'm not going to lie. Uh, I learned most of everything I know in the Committee for Masonic Education. Uh, basically, uh, our previous chairman, Right Worshipful Brother Ben Isaacson, he had me pegged for the CME since I was initiated. And then the moment I became a master mason, he let me join the committee. And I learned just about everything I know from attending meetings monthly with a group of extremely knowledgeable brothers that 
we would just kind of have discussions. We would discuss what we want to present, you know, what questions were, we would answer each other's questions. And it helped me tremendously as far as learning about masonry, what answering questions, stuff like that. As far as Village Lodge in particular, yes, we had all the, you know, the typical lodge of instructions, but it was very basic. I learned most of the nitty gritty details in seminars and the Committee of Masonic Education, to be honest. And Steve, how about you? What was your formation as a Mason? And, and, and who did you learn from? And what were you learning with? So um, the, uh, the Civil War had just uh, resolved. And, uh, you know, the Gettysburg Address was being delivered. And I was raised a Mason. Um, so, um, no, it's, um, I, you look, you look at, they can't see you, but you look at, no, I just, <laughs> you, you say the nicest things sometimes. <laughs> um, the, you know, I was raised, um, years and years ago. Um, I think I'm about 20 years in, um, I'm very close and, the what they were doing back then was not really much um we would have officer meetings we would have um lodge of instruction which really was just kind of sitting around getting to know each other um i uh don't really don't really know that we reviewed very much. I did get the um, an early version of what these booklets used to be, um, probably like six or seven iterations before now, and nobody told me what they were. I also got the code book, <laughs> and but but nobody again nobody told me what they were. They just said here study these and there wasn't really much going on um so i just started reading stuff and asked questions but um i wasn't sure what to do with these and for years and years um i kept the uh my version of these booklets in my safe where i keep my ritual you know, so my wife can't spy on our right. secrets. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and only very recently in going through this process did I start to realize that these booklets don't really contain <laughs> secrets <laughs> or anything that I should be overly worried about. Um, but, I, you know, it was just, I they were given to me. I was told that these contain secrets about our order and to keep them in a safe place. And don't let anybody non-Masonic get them. <laughs> and there was no secrets to be had in them. Uh, not very many that I noticed. No, no. I read through them and they're actually, if the public read it, I don't necessarily know that it would be giving anything away. Um, although they are tiled. So they are tiled in Grandview. But um, that's a, a good point to make. And speaking of, I, I noticed that you mentioned there was it was like getting to know you. And I felt like, for my part, that was a big part of it. I sat with one mentor. We'd show up at the lodge. They didn't even turn. They're like, don't waste the heat. <laughs> so we would we would go there. It'd be like 55 degrees. I'd be in full like winter garb. And uh, I'd sit there and have a chat. But it was, you know, we were chatting about the lecture, basically. But 
if you were thinking about what kind of program you would recommend to lodges for instruction, obviously we're members of the CME. This is something we think about a lot. We'll start with Steve. What would you recommend a lodge do as they form a new Mason in our ways? And obviously our ways are very different, but that culture is what makes us Masons. So Steve, how should a lodge train a candidate? What would your recommendation be if you were setting up from scratch a brand new lodge of instruction? So, I mean, this is all opinion. And, you know, um, the problem in, in answering your question is um, you as chairman of CME have significant amounts of data as far as what works and what doesn't work. Um, I have some of that data, but only because it's been shared with me. <laughs> so um, to answer your question, it's, it's really just my opinion of what I think works and what I've seen work over the years. But I think that there needs to be a connection, a time where a new member or a candidate for the degrees gets to know a few of the brothers of the lodge and they get to know him. I think that in going through the degrees, the degrees need to be debriefed. And I think that that needs to be done in, um, in two different ways. Um, I think that one part of our degrees is our, the obligation. And you may even be able to break it into three different parts, right? Because three is nice and very Masonic, right? You've got the obligation, you've got the stewards lectures, and then you've got the nature of the degree. And I think there's a difference between the stewards lectures and the nature of the degree or what happened in the degree, because the stewards lectures is really learning the language, reiterating what had physically occurred what actually occurred may be more symbolic and there may be some other meanings and allusions to what the candidate went through. So I think that it need, that, that part of it can be broken out. Um, but I, I would say, you know, a three-part um, education experience for each degree absolutely makes sense and a interview slash getting to know you slash this is masonry for someone before they even take their, their entered apprentice degree. Thank you for that. And Chris, what are your opinions on that? And you can react to anything Steve said as well. I was going to say, I might even go off on a tangent. So I was going to say, I, story time, I filled in as secretary for Village Lodge during a uh, gap year uh, two years ago. And I actually found the first booklet because there are three degree booklets, but there's one initially called the accepted booklet. And I found this tremendously helpful. And I kind of feel like it's the most important booklet in my opinion, because along with the letter of acceptance, if you just toss in this accepted booklet, it tells you everything you need to know as an incoming candidate. It kind of settles your nerves. It tells you what to expect. It tells you you don't need to know anything. It tells you all the little information to kind of get you prepared for entering masonry. And I find it's a huge tool for any secretary out there. That's why I kind of feel like that one's the most important. The rest of them, you know, explain the degree they just took, but this one is a perfect primer for masonry. Uh, as far as what would be ideal for, you know, candidates, 
I think that mentoring is extremely important. So of course, after I went through my master mason degree, they started doing this afterwards, but our, my DD, right worshipful brother, George Frascarelli, he started doing a hour a week mentoring group for any incoming candidates, as well as, you know, fellow crafts, EAs. And it turns into, you know, you could discuss ritual, you could learn your proficiency, you could talk about, you know, men's health, you could talk about something that bothers you. It creates a huge intimate bond between these groups of brothers. And it strengthens their ties to the lodge by giving them practical instruction as well as a place that they feel welcome, supported, and it helps them learn in the process. So having an experienced brother is extremely helpful in my opinion. And I'm glad you brought up the accepted booklet. A lot of people miss that one. There's actually five booklets, the accepted being the first one. You, you know, you've been accepted by the, your petitions ago, but you're not in a degree yet. And I love how you guys really cover the expectations well. One for each degree. And there's a fifth one on the historical background of the degrees, which I actually learned quite a bit in revising it. And I just read through it. And I was like, boy, I, this is a lot of stuff that I didn't know. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that accepted one, especially because I think you're right. That is a pretty special one. Both of you being on the CME, you have goals for things that you want to have the committee do. I'm sure I know. I certainly have a, a list myself and, um, and I've been chairman, I, I think three or four years now. And you know, we're hitting a lot of those strides. What matters most to you? And we'll start with Chris. Um, as being a member of the CME, what would you like us to be able to deliver to the Grand Lodge of Connecticut? So I've always been fascinated by the symbolism behind Freemasonry. You know, we're a fraternity that's existed for hundreds of years, and there has to be something beyond the literal text that, you know, there's symbolism beyond the basic knowledge. And a lot of brothers will look at it and be like, yeah, you know, fact, 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 learn this, learn this, learn this. But personally, I believe that there's a huge hidden layer of masonry, and that's learned through the symbolism. So I'm personally interested in the symbolism, the esoterica, you know, the stuff that kind of, why are we doing all this? Why do we circle the altar? Why do we take certain steps? You know, all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm fascinated by. And I think there is a large percentage of the brothers in Connecticut that are craving that knowledge, especially incoming uh, candidates, incoming brothers that they, they want to learn. They're all eager to learn. So I think that's that's something I'm very fascinated by. I know it's kind of polarizing, but I love it. So well, I'm glad you have, at least have a very strong opinion about it. Because yes, you're right. We bring up the word esoterica, symbolism, and you either get I love you or I hate you. <laughs> that's good stuff. Steve, what are some of your goals? Um, so I, I actually have, have a couple of things that I would like to see happen. Um, many, many years ago, um, I asked the brother to help out with something and they said yes. And they didn't do what they said they were gonna do. And it was important, at least at the time it was. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't. But at the time it was, was important. And I got let down um, personally, where after being raised as a master mason and told that this is the fraternity where you can count on your brothers and they will be there when they say they're going to be there. There's integrity within them. I had an experience very quickly where I found that that wasn't true. 
And I don't want that to happen to anybody else. And I want the rest of our brotherhood and our fraternity to know that, yeah, that can happen, but it's really rare that we are a group of men with integrity that can be counted on, that say what they mean and do what they say, and that we can make our lives, our fraternity, and this world a better place because of that. The other thing, on a lighter note, is that the fraternity is supposed to be fun. This is our free time. We're not working. We don't get paid to do this. It's supposed to be fun. So there's a point where things can be too serious. And when I say fun, I don't mean, you know, giggles and party time. I, I mean that we enjoy what we're doing and that it has value and meaning to us. And if what I do can put a little bit more meaning into the fraternity for somebody else, then I think I'm hitting my goals. That's well said, Steve. I appreciate that. And I, I hope I hope we can achieve all those goals that both of you said. Those are pretty good things. So uh, I, as well said, and I'll say to our, our people listening that Steve is one of those people I know that if I pick up the phone and call wherever I am, he would be there in a heartbeat. So I, I'm glad you said that sentiment because, uh, you know, I certainly feel that, that that's true about you. I, I, on the committee, Chris is like lockstep. We, uh, we went up to Village Lodge for a seminar and it was like, hey, Chris, can you? Yep. Like you like read my mind. It was great. Like you're just shooting around. Can we have the lodge set that before I even said set up? It was just there, done. Uh, so both of you, I, I, it's a great audience to uh, be talking about this. One of the things that you, uh, I noticed is that the old required reading or further readings, um, that part was out of date and you guys have redacted it. Um, what kind of things are you recommending? Like it's a very different world about finding information on masonry with the internet and Kindles and things like that. How are masons like once they read these books and they're hungry for more? What do you recommend they do next? We'll start with Steve. Oh, well, the, the short answer is to contact the CME or to go on to, to Grandview. Um, the, the longer answer is the suggested reading. The newest piece of suggested reading, I think, was written in 1966 um, from, from the reading list. There's stuff being written every day. There are books and books of of good stuff that come out. There's articles and everything else. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm not somebody that regularly reads that stuff. But there are people that do, and there are people on our committee that do. And from what I understand, there's been recommended readings and um, suggested books that CM, the CME has put together book lists of and uh, article lists of. Um, to be able to, to provide. So my, my suggestion would be to reach out to the CME for some recommendations because what's really good and recommended right now is going to be different next year. And Chris, what, what do you recommend people look into? <laughs> so I think the reason we both redacted this is because we neither of us felt comfortable being an authority on what 
people should be reading, what brothers should be reading, and what perspectives are accurate. So it's kind of above our pay grade to say that this is accurate information about Freemasonry and this is what you should be reading. So I kind of, you know, it's a cop out, but I kind of feel the same way that, you know, it should, we shouldn't be recommending things at this level. Maybe you do some more research, find an authority on the subject and get some recommend recommendations from them. Uh, we just kind of, we didn't know what to do about it. So rather than recommending something that's outdated, we figured take it out and then find a different source, a better source to get all this information from. And I, I can tell you, I have a pile of books just off camera on my desk that are like my Mason books. And uh, I buy a lot and like about 50% are real quality, but only 50%. And uh, uh, the one I will just say from my own personal reading lately, uh, In Search of Light by Robert G. Davis has been really, really cool. And uh, I'm recommending it to Chris because it's all about symbolism. And it's also going to be the core text of an upcoming seminar in September. So it's a little bit of a teaser for those. It's about the deeper symbolism of the degrees. And uh, we are going to be putting on something. This was actually recommended to me um, by uh, Worship Brother Ben Wallace of North Carolina, who's their educational director. And he's like, boy, if you read this, it's going to light a fire. And it certainly has um, with me. So I I'm only recommending that personally. That's not an official stamp. Uh, as, as we begin to wind down the podcast today, um, I would like to just know, like, what's going on in your Masonic life? Like, what's coming up next? Uh, what are you excited and looking forward to in the coming year? Um, you know, uh, masks are off, and all of a sudden, it feels normal this month. Uh, I know I work in a school, and the masks came off, and sports are back fully. And um, what's exciting for you in the next few months? Maybe what's going on in your lodge? Uh, you can say anything you want there. Chris, I'll start with you. Well, I am officially a grumpy past master. So I think that's exciting because people are coming up to me and I have to give an opinion. And, you know, it's, it's just a position of power when somebody learning comes up to you and says, how do we do this? How do we do that? So it's kind of interesting being the chaplain, being the ritual, you know, expert in the lodge, how we do things, things like that. So I find that I'm being tapped as a source of information for the lodge and probably primarily because I'm on the CME for so long and have absorbed so much information through the quality seminars we put on that people are utilizing me in that way. Uh, I've been AGM two cycles ago, who knows, maybe I'll be DD in the future, but nobody's mentioned anything to me. Uh, for now, I would just like to be one of the brothers sitting on the sidelines. And, but until people don't need me anymore, I'll be happy to help, so. Thank you, Chris. And uh, Brother Steve, what's what's coming up for you? What are you excited for? Well, um, one thing I, I would like to mention, it was just briefly mentioned um, in the podcast, was the historical book five. We didn't really talk about it much, um, and I just wanted to mention it. Um, this, this, is, this is my brainchild. Um, um, every single one of these books had this historical section that didn't fit. And Chris and I weren't sure what to do with them. And right as we were wrapping up the Master Mason books, I said, hey, let's just pull all of them and put them into a historical book five that has these historical sections into it. And, you know, I got the email back, another book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what, what it was and what it really came down to is it appears that 
in these books, there was there's this really good historical information. How true it is, Chris and I have no idea. Uh, you know, we didn't go through the history books or check sites or anything else. Um, but somebody put a lot of time in writing this and doing some research on this stuff. And it's good stuff and it's interesting stuff. Um, it just felt like a real shame to let it get lost. So we created this historical book five and the purpose of it is so that that information would not get lost so that it would be there for somebody that would want to read it and be interested in it. But by no means is it necessary. Is it um, something that somebody should be compelled to read? But it certainly would make a nice program to go through it and have discussions over, uh, over a meal or over, uh, over food after lodge as as part of uh, some sort of fraternal event or uh, even a festive board um, kind of a kind of a discussion. It so, sounds like a worshipful master could kind of like download any one of these modules and turn it into a lodge program or a piece of this. Is that would you, would you agree? That's it would be amazing if they did, and I think that you know I know I would be very happy to see that happen. Um, I'm sure Chris would be too. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's really easy to find these book these we say booklets. They're they're eight and a half by eleven pages. They're standard print. You can download them as a PDF. They're on Grandview right now. And if you look through the resources page, you'll be able to find them. They're uh, in the Entered Apprentice, obviously, Fellow Crafted, and the Master Mason resources. You'll find these booklets there. So a Entered Apprentice can't access the Master Mason one. So it's all tiered, but those booklets are there for downloads so that people can take down and, and read, and you might actually print them and put them in a binder uh, with some of the supplemental materials in your lodge. And I hope people do. So um, I'll just say that I'm excited with the CME. We have on May 7th in Niantic, the deeper dive into the tragedy. So we had a very successful, I felt it was successful. We had uh, almost 80 brothers come to Village Lodge. And thank you again, Chris, uh, to study basically the fine details of the stage directions of the degrees. We're going to be looking at the tragedy in detail and some of the extra pieces that may tie into that as well. And obviously, we can't go into that here, but um, I think it'll be really exciting for people to go. And in September, Chris's dream seminar, the symbolism seminar. And we once again, we'll do like a leadership type of thing. So as we sign off, uh, I'll give the final word. We'll go from Steve to Chris, and then I'll sign off. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, you have a last word? It's just... Um... I honestly have to say it was an absolute pleasure working with Chris and getting this done. Um, I really appreciate uh, the trust and um, faith that, that yourself and that the rest of the fraternity put in us to get this task done. Um, I would recommend that if given an opportunity to work on any document collaboratively um, with another brother, um, you really learn a lot about each other and what drives somebody within the fraternity. And, you know, if, if anything, you know, my understanding of Chris's drive and what he loves about this fraternity has only grown. Um, I've come to you know, uh, 
respect him even more and respect his opinion even more. Um, he's, you know, he's now somebody that if I had questions or wanted to bounce an idea or a document off of, um, I wouldn't think twice about it. So uh, it was just an absolutely wonderful experience to be able to do something tangibly good for the fraternity and get to know each other better and work together as, as brothers. And Chris. And Steve stole the words out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, it, I appreciate all that sentiment. And I was going to say something similar. Uh, I wanted to thank Wright Richard Brothers Steve Allenson for his incredible job. It was a pleasure to work with him. He was timely. He complimented my style incredibly well. Uh, we made a great team. We both had our individual focuses that we kind of collectively managed to work out. And honestly, most of the time, I don't realize how those like problematic bullet points got resolved. But throughout the document, they just kind of disappeared. So I don't know what we were doing, but we were doing it well. So I appreciate Steve and his expertise. And he did a great job. So I appreciate it. And I'm going to say I appreciate both of you doing this work. This has been a project that's been on the burner for at least like three or four years, if not even more. It was something that was always like, we have to do this, but we don't have time. We have to do this. We don't have time. Well, the two of you just grabbed it, took care of it. And it was a year's worth of work. I mean, it was a lot of work back and forth. And I saw some of the changes as they were coming through. And there was a lot, a lot of great discussions going on in that paper. So uh, I thank you. And uh, I just... I, I want to celebrate what you did a little bit because we often things change in the fraternity. We don't know how they changed or why they changed or the effort that went into it, but we should really be able to say thank you to the brothers who did it. So I'm saying thank you on behalf of the craft to all of you uh, for doing this. And this is the, again, the first episode in the third season of online with light. There'll be more. I'm calling people. We'll have more coming soon. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Take care. <laughs>